0: So much older
1: I'm than that now.: uh, we humans are amazing creatures. I mean, truly. look at all we've accomplished. So why is it that we struggle so much with things like anxiety, ego and fear? I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton and this is Growing Bolder and in the next hour we're going to learn how to deal with our feelings, how, how to get a handle on our emotions, how to keep our egos in check so we can live fulfilling lives.
2: Sounds like a free therapy session, Bill. <laughs> I am all in. And we're going to start by having a conversation with a leading expert on the psychology of well-being, curiosity, mental flexibility, and social relationships. Todd Cashton has some fascinating thoughts for anyone who would like to see more justice, creativity, and innovation in the world, anyone Who would like to lead a more fascinating and happy life and then we're going to talk about the effects of aging with a top orthopedic surgeon who believes your lifestyle choices play just as big a role as your genetics and he'll tell us what he's learned about prevention and recovery from playing on the same volleyball team for over 25 years now we're also going to meet a guy whose body was shattered when he was hit by a car how he put his life back together, and what he's learned through his ordeal will fascinate you. Ordinary people living extraordinary lives. It's time for Growing Bolder.
1: Well, how many of you are over it, feel powerless, wish somebody would listen? Well, you're going to love this. I'm Bill Schaefer. This is Growing Bolder. And this segment is for anyone who understands the value of nonconformity, of free thinkers, who wonders why we cling so tightly to the status quo. Well, we've got a guy who wrote a book about just that, a psych professor at George Mason University, who believes sometimes it's good to be bad. The book is called The Art of insubordination, how to dissent and defy effectively. Let's see what we can learn from
3: Todd and Hey, Todd, how you doing? Hey, great intro. I'm, I'm excited to read whatever you're going to be writing next. Well, <laughs> you know, you keep
1: writing them and we'll keep introing them because, uh, you know, I took kind of a positive tack there, and I guess maybe it would have been more effective if I would have said something like, all right, this guy's written a book. It's probably going to bug us all. It's about insubordination, something none of us need or none
3: of us want. Todd, what the heck did you write that for? You would get more likes on Twitter because moral outrage in any – this is why moral outrage is actually so popular on, online, is that it is the it is the path to getting more likes. The algorithm actually gives a little boost to high-energy negative emotions. So if you want more listeners, um, you got to blow some fuses.
1: Now this is a great topic because we are living in an era of insubordination, at least online. Like you bring up, did that is that what motivated you to dive in and learn about this, or th- really it's a continuation of topics that, that you've been looking into for a while? What is going on with us?
3: Society's has a tailspin at one end, and ar- at another end, the cultural trends show it has never been a better time to be a non. White man. It's never been a better time in terms of the decline of violence, wars, abductions, kidnapping, sexual assaults, poverty. So you've got these two interesting trends that are happening simultaneously. The way that I mesh these two together is our time horizon has gotten shorter in terms of how we evaluate the quality of our own lives and the quality of society. So we're using seconds and minutes as opposed to months and years. And so what happens is a lot of these conversations that are occurring online, or even in person in small bursts, is we're paying very close attention to what people are saying it extemporaneously, and we're not taking a seat back in our private corridors with groups of people
1: and thinking what's our end game yeah i mean you're talking about consequences which is probably a good topic for your next book because nobody thinks about those anymore well it's
3: it's part of how you get into these conversations what we call productive conflicts is everything has a trade-off and we have to acknowledge that if you're going to stand tight about, let's go for book banning because that's the one I've just talked to my nine year old daughter about yesterday. And this notion that some books are beyond the pale of someone who's a teenager, who could drive a car and who could be in the military, but you're saying they can't read a book about certain topics. That's an interesting trade off. You're basically saying, at the fundamental level, I don't trust you. I don't think you should have autonomy. I don't think you're a good critical thinker. And I don't think you should digest ideas that are counter to what I believe, I think you should believe in. If you create a culture with those social norms and those social values, what kind of adults are going to be ruling society 30 years from now? And that's, again, one of the strategies. Expand the time horizon. You realize banning books is not a good idea even if you don't like the books. So so
1: interestingly, it, it almost sounds like you're advocating us to be more accepting and to get along more. But the book is about being insubordinate.
3: So just as a clarification, I'm actually not saying that we get along. What I, what I actually argue for is the trifecta of curiosity, curiosity. Intellectual humility and perspective taking. And what we really are bad at is perspective grabbing. You can't take a perspective until you understand the perspective. And one of the problems is we spend a lot of time quickly dismissing who's a friend, who's a foe within seconds based on your bumper sticker, based on the shirt you wear. Based on the sign you have during November, during election season, and because of that, we're not being exposed to other people with different views. And one of the beauties of society over the past 200 years is that you would have these what called third spaces. You've got home. You have work and then you might have a cavern or an Elks club or a moose lodge. And yes, you know, these were misogynistic times and women weren't invited in those places. And most of them, people of different races weren't invited, but they were soft, quiet spaces. Nobody was recording information and people could comfortably express exactly what they're thinking, knowing that there would be an assumption of benevolent intent until proven otherwise without those spaces. People are falsifying what they actually think in order to fit in. And as a result of that, many of us have no idea what people actually believe in society, only what people seem to like to present themselves. So we don't know what the norms are and what we can say and what we can't say. So we have a lot of self-silencing. And conflict is just information. And we're losing a very viable source of information that has prevented a lot of wars and has created a lot of compromises between very politically polarized groups.
1: What an interesting, interesting way to look at things. I I mean, I think that in many cases, we don't know our own positions. We we tend to parrot the the, the quick little thing we remember seeing from somebody else. So so you're basically coming at us with a a definition of insubordination that really isn't about being a bully. But you're saying you need to be educated. You need to know what you're talking about if you're going to take a contrarian position.
3: Yep. So I. You know, it's intentionally provocative. And a lot of actually organizations that wanted to hire me were like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to bring people in and teach them insubordination. And I was like, well, well, do you care about creativity? Do you care about innovation? Do you care about like evolving as a group? Because all of these things require someone to take a single step away from the herd, away from conventional thinking and say, you know what? Maybe it's not a good idea that that women take men's last names in unions in 2022, or maybe it's not a good idea to sell onesies in target where it says lady killer on a little boy's, you know, little boy's pajamas. And maybe we can expand and think differently about the scripts for men, for women and for society. And, and you can see that the way that I'm framing this is I don't have the answers, but as soon as we can't speak about the problems, those problems become unsolvable. As soon as we can't ask questions, Then they become taboo topics where all of a sudden they become radioactive unnecessarily. And we really need to have a place in universities, in hospitals, in nonprofits, on on conversations like this on the radio where you can actually say and ask questions because nobody has a manual of what the new language is and what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. The only way to find out is to start talking to people and asking about what's going on.
1: Uh, again, this is fascinating because it's exactly what we're trying to do at Growing Boulder. Kind, kind of trying to start the conversation to break the old stereotypes of age that people buy into, that we buy into ourselves so that we can live right up to the end, live good lives, live fulfilling lives, be active. Uh, um, what is it that we can do to fire people up that just doesn't end up in, a, you know, in, in two people in, in trenches lobbing insults back and forth?
3: So before I answer that, I want to hit the, you know, the theme of growing bolder. I think one of the most underappreciated cultural trajectories that the world is on right now is the age stratification in social networks. The idea, you know, for the course of human history, you would, and you would put your elders onto a pedestal. And I'm not saying let's do that necessarily. But what I am saying is you should have a social circle with someone younger than you that is smarter than you were at the same age, someone older than you that has wisdom and has gone through adversity and challenges so you can extract their wisdom, and people that are in your age cohort so you can work together as a coalition to figure out how to get through this uncertain, very difficult, adverse-ridden life, especially the challenges of being an adult. None of us got training in terms of how to do this this way. As long as we are age stratified and we're not hanging with people that are older than us and younger than us, we are not passing down the wisdoms that are passed down over the course of history. And we keep having to repeat our own mistakes. We could really speed things up by doing this. So one of the strategies built into that conversation right there is we have to choose social alliances, social networks where we're choosing not to find people that validate us and just are simulcrums of our own background and experience, but people that offer expansion of our knowledge, our wisdom, our perspective, financial resources, social networks. And when you do that, it's going to have a little friction in the beginning because you're not going to see eye to eye on everything. And I really want people to understand the science of that short-term mental anguish. The payoff is long-term personal growth, evolution, and greater meaning in life.
1: Uh, th- this is incredible, and, and it's 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 not that it's over my head, but it's so much information that it's kind of it's kind of hard to ingest. I, I think I think kind of what you're what you're pointing out is that one of the problems is it isn't just that others tend, you know, we we don't like millennial, you know, different groups don't like each other, right? They get adversarial relationships. And with older people, it's it's not just that others tend to ignore us as we age, I think, or think we're less capable. Most of the time, older people do it to themselves. We don't fight as hard. We withdraw. We isolate. And we allow some of these things to, to keep going.
3: Well, so I'm actually want to take the opposite uh, side of that opposite position on that argument and say, one of the isms that is continually allowed is ageism. I mean, I'm only 47 years of age. And I've noticed in the past 15 years, maybe even seven, 10 years, is the amount of allowance where people are to say, um, there's something wrong with how the boomers think about things. There's something wrong about how Gen X thinks about things. Um, And they were wrong about their views at the time, as opposed to trying to take the perspective of what was it like to live in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties is that we did we use different terms. There was still compassion. There was still empathy. There was still perspective taking, there was still a desire. I mean, just look at hippies, right? The entire movement was, how do we make a better world where there is more love and compassion, irrespective of your background and where you're from? Did they get words wrong as you look back from the lens of today? Of course, what you're not seeing is sufficient charity, and you're not seeing a sufficient willingness to realize is that maybe you're, there's too great of a focus on the language that's being used as opposed to the motive behind the behaviors. And that is a unnecessary, needless psychological barrier between older generations and younger generations, and this is exactly what I talk to my college students about, is do not complain about racism, homophobia and transphobia, if you're still going to hold ageism, they're all the same thing, which is you are deciding the the value, integrity and fortitude of another human being arbitrarily based on superficial appearances and a few words that they emit. That as a general theme is a horrible thing to do in society does not matter what the content of the person that we're talking about.
1: Todd, you what you basically did there is you just defined society today. That's that's the world we're living in. That's what happens every time you turn on this news channel or that news channel, this radio show or that radio show. So now that you've put your finger on it, what can we do about it? Can we can we dig ourselves out of this hole that we keep making deeper and deeper?
3: Yeah, this is exactly my mission right now, to get out there and actually start teaching people the skills. So there's a term um, from a few French researchers. I can't remember the first name. I know the last name is Butera. And they talk about this term called social cryptonesia. That sounds you know, really jargony as if I'm trying to prove that I have a PhD. But it's a nice term. It's what it means is, is that there are things that benefit us today. We don't know the origins of them because it's not like, you know, the uh, we're learning about kind of how Superman and Batman and Wolverine became who they are. And we forget that the groups that we loathe and dislike or have a problem with today are often the origins of exactly what's beneficial for us. And as we teach people objectively about history, people change their views in terms of being less discriminatory and show more tolerance and dignified attitudes towards those groups that they, they 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 loathe. And let me just give you a concrete example about this ageism thing. The boomers and Generation Z, and I know we're using these kind of generation terms loosely here, they were the two groups that said, hey, you know what? If you were in a very unsatisfying and abusive relationship, it's not too long ago where you never left. And these were the groups, these were the generations who said, you know what? You are right to leave. And you know what? It doesn't matter what religions say. And you know what? It doesn't matter what society says. It is you have one scarce life to live. Why would you compromise your well being and allow yourself to be neglected, emotionally abused, or physically abused, or and live a life of loneliness? And the worst way is with another person and still feel lonely. That beautiful. Cultural change is a function of people who are now in their 60s and 70s. So for all your freedom today in terms of being able to escape problematic relationships, you can thank and know that your cryptonesia has made you forget that those benefits are from a lot of men and women who took large stands and were excommunicated from their families and their communities so that you could have the freedoms of today. And we can keep on doing that so that people can have gratitude and continued respect and bringing people in with that wisdom for when that started.
1: Thank goodness we're as messed up as we are and as polarized as we are because it's from out of that, that true progress comes.
3: Yes. Yeah, it's it's weird, right? It's kind of um, Marcus Aurelius who said the obstacle it, is the way. It's like the
1: reason we kind of snoozed through the Eisenhower era is there wasn't any adjutant there to make us progress. I, I, I
3: can't imagine what we're going to be like in 10, 20 years because we are a mess right now. We are. But, you know, it's good to remember the 1800s when people had a political argument, you whipped out pistols, you went into the backyard and you basically shot each other. So um, it's again, history provides a, a good way for us to reframe how things are happening right now.
1: So we've got, you know, there's tons of greed in our society. There's tons of violence, hatred, and we seem to be willing to let others suffer as long as we're not suffering Uh, all of these negatives. Do you see us figuring this out and turning these things around and moving forward from them?
3: I'm an extremely optimistic person about this because I know the science and I know we just have to educate the public about you know, evidence-based tools, tactics, and strategies. And this is why I spent six years of my life putting this together. I wanted to create um, – here is uh, a manifesto for how to create a better world. It's you know, based on what works, not what we believe works.
1: You know what you are? You're like the Mozart of emotions trying to teach us to play much better, more constructive, and more fulfilling tunes. Todd, this is such a great topic, one that can make a difference in us all. The book is called The Art of Insubordination, How to Dissent." and defy effectively what a great conversation an interesting guy check out his works and let's see if we can all move this thing forward uh with the great research and uh perspective of todd cashton Do you have any aches
2: and pains that limit the things that you can do? Well, we're going to talk to a volleyball-playing orthopedic surgeon about what he's learned that can help you stay active and more involved in your daily life. That's next on Growing Boulder.
1: Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures.
2: You know, there's no shortage of self proclaimed anti aging specialists and longevity gurus out there, but sadly, many do little more than sow confusion. They offer false promises, and of course, they try to play on our fears to make money for themselves for what ultimately can be harmful interventions. On our Fountain of Youth podcast, I had the chance to speak with Boyd Haynes, who's a renowned orthopedic surgeon who's played on the same competitive volleyball team for 25 years, and I want you to hear part of that podcast now. I was talking about aging and the fact that it's not a disease, but rather a process. You know, we're never going to cure it, but there are aspects of it that we
4: can control.
2: So I wondered, does Dr. Haynes agree?
4: I do. It's definitely a process. I mean, if you look at the data, probably from age 25 on is when you get uh, some aging to occur, you know, uh, and then it just gets worse with time. Genetics are part of it, you know, what your mom and dad gave you. Uh, and then the other part is what you do for a living and how active you are. There are a lot of variables, but but you can control a lot of these variables.
2: One of the variables you control, obviously, is, is you like to get out there and play. You like to be on a team. I, I'm guessing it's not uncommon for for surgeons of all sorts to have highly stressful lives and to not get out and move. What, what does participation in an organized sport like
4: volleyball do for you? Well, it's kind of like uh, we play once a week, and it's kind of like a break from my routine, which, like I said, I'm mainly an orthopedic surgeon, but it's really nice to be able to get out, go with my guys. We kind of decompress a little bit, play volleyball, and enjoy the little team camaraderie.
2: Is it true that you have actually operated on some of your teammates?
4: Uh, We were just laughing this past Tuesday when they said we should get a picture of our team when we're at the senior games next time, and then put little, uh, like, carrots by the people and what I've operated on and throughout the team. Probably 90% of my team I've operated on. Oh, my
2: gosh. I don't know whether that's a good promotional statement for, for organized sports as
4: we age or not. Well, Why are they getting injured and what kind of injuries are they in general? So it's from hip replacement to knee reconstruction to ankle sprains to torn meniscus and knees. Uh, to some uh, non-surgical back pain, to rotator cuff tears. It kind of runs the gamut with what we do in volleyball, you know? Yeah, it, it is tough. A
2: lot of, uh, you know, weight-bearing stuff where, you know, I, I've i never, I play volleyball a little bit, but not a lot. But, um, you know, I, I would think that you can get into a position really,
4: really easily that you shouldn't. Uh, it 's absolutely true, so you know if there's a bad pass, a bad set uh you know if you don't change your approach or approach it differently, well, then it becomes problematic, and you can create uh bad mechanics if you will, with what you do, so it's very easy to do when you 're moving around and the ball is changing direction fairly rapidly
2: you know one of the things doc, that I think is really interesting about your story is you do, you just don 't play on a team but you know, essentially, you've been playing on the same team for for decades. I mean, this this is a group of guys that have been hanging out for a while, right? How long has it been?
4: Essentially, it's been the same guys, probably eighty percent of the same guys over the last twenty five years. You now, a few guys have moved to Chicago, to Colorado, uh, and a lot of times for the senior games, we'll get them to try to come back out, and we'll kind of reunite as a team again.
2: So for the past 25 years over what I I guess generally could be considered middle age from your 30s to your 60s or so, you've hung out with the same guys. You've continued to play a a pretty demanding sport. It's kind of like your own little research group, your focus group, if you will. What have you seen within your own team in terms of the physical challenges over those decades? You know,
4: how have they progressed and how have you helped them handle them? So, so some of the challenges, because volleyball is more of a quick reaction sport. You know, it's not like a, you do long endurance training. You're you're going from doing not much on the court to having to move quickly to get to where you need to be to make it happen. Obviously, reflexes get less over time. So trying to maintain that as much as you can with the right exercise program. And I really believe flexibility is critical. Strength is important, but flexibility in order to do these things Uh, I talk about a lot, motion is life. You know, if you do that, that's probably step number one.
2: And is there a good general flexibility routine that most masters or seniors athletes should be be taking part in that will, you know, help minimize the possibility that they're going to pull something?
4: I don't really have one program for it. It's because if you don't have a flexible ankle, you sprain your ankle more often you don't have a flexible knee and you fall and you bend into a zone you could not bend into, you're going to create an injury. No different than hip, back, shoulder, elbow, hand, it's neck. Anything you can do to try to maintain flexibility in all aspects of that uh, is great. I try to educate either my patients or my uh, uh, players. You want to stretch throughout your day. You make it part of your routine. So if you're driving in your car, well, you may be stretching your neck as you look left and right, up and down. You know, you kind of cross your shoulder uh, while you're at a stoplight, stretching your fingers, your wrist. It's almost like you just do it routinely and it's more like a habit than it is, hey, I got to go stretch.
2: You know, we've all seen those those stories, Doc, you know, that, that show on average, we lose X amount of muscle mass, X amount of bone density as we age. But is it true that flexibility is actually something that that can improve and, and dramatically so as we age?
4: It actually can. I think it's important to start as young as you can, all right? And I mentioned it to my younger patients as well, is that if you start with a habit when you're young, all right, well, then it kind of goes into, as, it goes into the uh, uh, more senior years and it becomes part of just what you do. It's the fabric, you know? So if you maintain that when you're young, then you will do better as you get older. What I've seen pretty commonly in my practice is I got some people coming in for significantly arthritic knees and they come in and they tell me they're doing great. And uh, It's very confusing to have such a bad X-ray and the patient reports something different. And then you have a patient with X-rays that are relatively normal and they're doing horrible. Uh, And the difference uh, between those two is mobility. If one will have a pretty stiff leg and then they don't walk well, they don't stand well, it affects their ADLs. And then the person who has good mobility now stands correctly, can climb steps. Yes, they get arthritis, but they maintain the mobility in order to do everything else that they need. We're talking with Dr. Boyd Haynes, who is
2: an orthopedic surgeon, as you might have surmised. He's also uh, a very good uh, Masters athlete. In fact, uh, your team, Doc, is the Virginia Senior Games champion. You guys were the silver medalist in the National Senior Games back in 2017. You just missed the podium with a fourth-place finish in 2019 in Albuquerque. Are you going to be there? Is your team, which is called the Bone Setters, are they going to be in Fort
4: Lauderdale this year? Yes, we are. Yeah. Thanks for bringing up our losses. Great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm trying to motivate you. Can you get back on the podium this year? Yeah. So, yeah,
4: we're going to come down. Uh, We're going to do the indoor for the first three days. Then we're going to do two man beach uh, and then we're going to do a four man beach. So we're going to try to participate in all five days of volleyball. It it could be a, a leave or Advil kind of trip. (laughs) <laughs> you, you know, how, how different is it
2: for you to prepare? Because, you know, we mentioned getting into weird positions because you don't know where a ball is going to go. I would think with the, the, the loosely packed sand, it could almost be
4: even potentially more dangerous. Yeah. So so the indoor game is a quick game. All right. You got six people on the court uh, that you can jump higher. All those things make a huge difference. And so the speed is much faster. When you get to the beach game, well, you only have two men on the to cover a similar amount of territory. And in four man, you got four men to cover it. So so you got to cover more territory, but the ball is not moving quite as quick. Uh, But you have to be uh, a little bit more crafty in the uh, beach world in order to play smarter and not harder. Do you
2: have some beach venue there in Newport News where you can practice?
4: Yeah, we're we're in Newport News. There's Virginia Beach across the way, so we've used to play a lot of the tournaments at the ocean front. But that is a time consuming day; it lasts all day. And I haven't done that in years, just because I don't have that kind of time. As you get married with kids and uh, life, uh, it's just hard to get a whole full day to do stuff. So they do have an indoor sand league over there at Virginia Beach. So there's a two man tournament coming up in about two weeks. No, actually, it's only in a week. And it's called a century tournament, all right? And, and for a century <laughs> tournament, you have to have two players that equal 100 years of age. Wow. And then you qualify to play. So me and my partner are going to qualify at 125 years of age. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that about senior sports.
2: I'm not sure what it's like in other sports, but I compete in swimming. And the swimming age groups uh, in, you know, there's, there, there's FINA and then there's USA Swimming. FINA is the, the – a governing body for the world and and the relays in there are the aggregate age so it's 200 to 230 or 230 and above so uh it it is really interesting it's a math problem it's almost an algorithm to try to put together a team you know you could have a team that's got a a 60 year old who's good on a team with a bunch of 40 year olds so it's kind of fun to put them together like that This is a guy, folks, we're talking with uh, Dr. Boyd Haynes III, who is an orthopedic surgeon, also a master's athlete, a guy who wears many hats. Let me ask you to put your doc hat back on because, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about uh, that I prescribe all the time is is prehabilitation, the idea that we should all be preparing for the inevitable setbacks that we're all going to face to some extent as we age. And I say, and please tell me if I'm wrong, that, to a large extent, we should be doing that because when we are injured or when we are diagnosed with some sort of disease, the types of intervention and the speed of our recovery, the extent of our recovery after that intervention is determined to a large extent by our overall condition at the time. As a surgeon, do you find that? it uh, Do the people who are in good shape when they're
4: injured come back better and stronger? Absolutely. Uh, and my, my patients that participate with the prehab program, they get used to For example, knee replacement, they are doing exercises ahead of time. So it's almost they get used to it about six weeks ahead where they're doing the same program. So once they've had surgery, it's kind of like in memory. Well, they just follow the same program again, working on stretching, working on some straight leg raises, what are called quad sets, working on gentle bending, controlling swelling. But, yeah, the people that come in with better range of motion, with better strength, always do better than the guys that are deconditioned with a stiff leg. Absolutely true.
2: Thank you for that. It's the biggest no-brainer in the world, in my mind, folks. If you guys are not getting ready, uh, if you're not getting ready for the physical setbacks that we'll encounter, uh, you're making a big mistake. I'm sure you're not like this, uh, Dr. Haynes, but but I think, unfortunately, there still is a good bit of ageism in the medical community uh, in that many doctors are, are very quick to prescribe medication before lifestyle modification, uh, and many will look at age first before they decide whether you know some sort of intervention is appropriate. I've done stories on 90-year-olds who couldn't get a knee replacement. You know, One doctor after another said, no, you're 90 years old, until finally somebody looked at this guy's condition, looked at his attitude, looked at his desire, looked at uh, his goals and said, yeah, I'll give you your knee. And then six months after he got his knee, he's climbing mountains. How much has has the aging patient changed over the years? And and do you consider a condition
4: first before age? Yeah. So So my push on all my patients when I talk to them about the conditions happening is I tell them first and foremost, I really don't care about your birth date. That makes no difference to oh, yeah. me. I care about your health status. So I got 90 year olds that are in great shape and I got 40 year olds that are not very good. All right. So so health status is more important than how old you are. All right. Um, Like the oldest uh, joint replacement I've done is someone who's 104 years old. Wow. So, uh, yeah, she had challenging challenges at 104, but she's 109 now. You know, so I really don't care about the birthday sort of issue. It really is about how are healthy. Are you and have you maintained yourself over your life? You know, beyond
2: orthopedics, Doc, what's your message uh, to anybody out there just about overall health and fitness? I know you kind of advise your own teammates and certainly your patients. But, you know, is, is there a is there a Dr. Haynes takeaway? Is there a moral to the story?
4: Is there a summation of all you've learned that that we should all know? I, I would tell you what, I, because it's hard for me to convince patients to go work out. In reality, it's just for in the general person doesn't have the time or the effort to want to go to a gym, stop their life, and do their exercise program. So what I try to incorporate is have them do a program that's part of their life. So if they're sitting in a chair or they're doing leg lifts, all right, if they're brushing their teeth or standing at the uh, counter, they're doing squats. All right, I want them to walk, do simple things, stair climb. So that's what I push, and then it's not that they are they have an undue burden about what they're doing, but at least they're getting some sort of exercise, and hopefully that may be a springboard where they can do a heavier set of exercise. And then two, I already mentioned it, but Motion is Life, an excellent stretching program. Like a lot of my yoga patients just have better mobility and have less issues, and over the long run, they do better in all aspects of every involvement thing, every involved intervention that I do, whether it's shots whether it's delaying surgery, whether it's once they get surgery, that my mobile patients always do better, always.
2: Thank you for that, Doc. I, I love that, folks. We've all got to figure out a way to, to, to get moving. And, you know, one of the things we love about Masters and Senior Sports is, is because, uh, you know, the closest thing is actual movement and it's social engagement, it's social interaction. It's it, it's the, the power and the beauty of a shared passion. And, and Doc, that's one of the things I love most about the National Senior Games. And I was blown away when we went there in 2019 just to see athletes helping competitors and everybody rooting for one another. Talk a little bit about the social
4: benefits of uh, of participating in, in an organized sport. And, and what you said is exactly true. When you're there and you're competing against all the different teams, particularly in my volleyball world, a lot of the guys stick around and watch your match. You know, And you may have just beaten them or they may have just beaten you. So it's real camaraderie. Uh, it's uh, very social for my guys. We get yes, we get some exercise in, but then we get to hang out and laugh and talk and and just take a breather from life and, and enjoy that social environment. So I agree with everything you said. I think that's a critical, important aspect to this, to that socialization part.
2: You know, folks, people like Dr. Haynes are invaluable to our society because 10,000 of us are now turning 65 each and every day. And when it comes to dealing with our aging society in which the majority of us are not healthy, we've got to get people to start making the right kind of lifestyle choices as early as possible to increase not just their lifespan, but more importantly, their health span. And a reminder that you can listen to the Fountain of Youth podcast wherever you find your podcast.
1: His body was shattered when he was hit by a car, but his ordeal revealed a side of life that's sure to get you thinking. That's next on Growing Boulder. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at slash podcasts.
2: Hi, Mark. Uh, that guy over there is Bill. And of course, this is Growing Boulder. And you know, we all think about the future. We plan, we save, we envision all the things that we'd like to do. And, where we'd like to go. But the truth is, life doesn't always go as planned. The unexpected happens to all of us. Anything from the death of someone that's close to us, a life-threatening diagnosis, the loss of a job, the end of a relationship, it just goes on and on. Joey Eberline was loading Christmas presents for needy children into a car when his life changed forever. Bill picks up that story.
5: Are you in
1: pain today? Every day. How do you deal with that?
5: It's there. It's just a part of it now.
1: Joey Eberline's Seed in Life has been behind those drums ever since he was a kid. Only now, what was once intuitive takes focus. He once toured with Steve Miller, played for Peggy Lee, Chuck Berry, and Diana Ross. But now it's a struggle to keep time. His fills aren't as clean, Just minutes leave him exhausted, but Eberlein knows he's lucky to be alive after what happened to him on December 12th, 2018.
5: One of the things we did was every year we would start collecting toys and games and clothing, and we would find families in our community who needed help at Christmas. And I helped a father take things out to his car, and he turned around and gave me a big hug and he said, thank you so much. You've made our Christmas, and God bless you. And I turned around, and I went to cross the street to go back to the Legion, and out of the blackness, I sensed something was there. And like Superman, I put my hand out this, whatever it was, it was a car with no lights, and they were accelerating. And the driver hit me, flipped me into the windshield, I broke the windshield. That's the first time they knew I was there. They hit the brakes and that threw me nearly a half block in the air and I landed in the street. Long story short, I went into a coma and I was in a coma for 22 days. They told Leslie that he won't survive. So Leslie started- They
1: actually told your wife?
5: He wouldn't survive.
1: But he did survive, only to have to learn to talk again, to write, and more.
5: I couldn't sit up in bed. I couldn't lift myself up. I could lay there and wait for a nurse to come back and change my diaper, rearrange my pillow. I was totally on every support system they had. I couldn't do anything for myself.
1: There were other injuries, too, that were just as devastating to him and his wife not physical, but financial.
5: While I'm fighting for my life, she's fighting for our life. She's boxing up our 4,000 square foot home, all of my drums, all of my musical equipment, all of our antiques, finding places for our pets, putting our house on the market, because we're being told we're going to have about $2 million in medical bills. We lost just about everything. We sold vehicles, we sold our house, we sold our musical equipment, whatever it took to survive.
1: But instead of being bitter, depressed, Eberlein was the opposite. He's grateful, hopeful, and compelled to make a difference for others. So, Joey, what, what has all this taught you?
5: I guess we all face hardships, and they're different for everybody. And it, it might be health care, it might be their family, it might be their marriages, their relationships, health. I have friends that are fighting cancer, friends that are fighting their, with heart problems, problems with their limbs, with their, everything you can imagine. The list, my prayer list gets longer and longer. <coughs>
1: Instead of focusing on what he's lost, he appreciates what he has. A loving wife and that seat behind those drums.
5: How could I be sad? How, how could I be unhappy? How could I not think that you know, every day is the best day of my life? Every new day. You know, it's, it's, I couldn't ask for more. I've been given.
1: You know, when you hear someone who's been through the trauma and pain that Joey Eberlein has say something like, how can I not think every day is the best day of my life? Man, that really makes you think. It makes you realize that we all have a lot to be grateful for. Take advantage of it. Get out there. Do what you love and make a difference. (music) Growing Bolder is all about making a difference. And when we come back, Mark will tell us what he's been thinking about that just might help us do exactly that. To Growing Boulder magazine now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com/slash/subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingboulder.com/slash/podcasts. Yes, there are things that we lose as we age, but there are also things that we gain, and one of them is resilience. Every one of us who makes it to whatever age, 50, 60, or more, has had to develop resilience. Unfortunately, we gain a lot of it because we need to in order to overcome some difficult challenges. Growing Bolder contributor and international authority on active aging, Dr. Vonda Wright, has some tips for developing even greater resilience through
0: mindfulness. When we go into a stressful situation, whether it's environmental or we're going in to see our boss who's acting like a lion today or our families, you know, we've still got the physiologic fight or flight response to stress, right? So as we're going into the opportunities, sometimes the flight or the fight can just take over and we can be spinning about all the stress we're under. But one of the tactics for building hardiness is stepping back and gaining perspective by thinking through, okay, I'm gonna give myself the space to physically write down the entire episode. It's like a movie script. What happened? Who said what? How did it make me feel? Character development during the episode. By writing it down, it relieves our brain of the spinning that goes on with stress. And then we step back and say, how could that have been worse? And then you list out how could it have been worse. And at the end of the day, in most of our situations, nobody dies, right? So it couldn't have been ultimately worse. And then we look at the scenario and we think, how could it have been better? And then we give ourselves the grace to put it into perspective and realize that, yeah, it was suboptimal, but it didn't kill me, right? That's a great tool. The next tool that I love is something that I'm not really good at. It is the mindfulness and meditativeness that people like Deepak Chopra teach us to do, which is focus on the breath. Focus on, you know, and he'll take us through the top of our heads, through each body part, focusing in the present well, i got to tell you, when I do that, even with Deepak Chopra, by the time I get to my neck, I'm making lists. I'm talking about <laughs> what I'm going to do next in my brain. But for people who can focus on the breath and mindfully meditate, it's an amazing way to build hardiness.
1: That is Dr. Von der Wright with ways that we can toughen up to better deal with the inevitable challenges that we all know that life does have to offer. All right, time now for On My Mind with Mark Middleton, my favorite segment of the program. Mark, what's on your mind today? You know, Bill, I'm sure it's on your mind. I think it's on everybody's mind here at Growing Boulder, and that's the National Senior
2: Games because we took ten people to Fort Lauderdale. We're now producing a 60 minute national cable television show, and you know. Uh, It takes a while to process all that we learned, and I really think that the obvious stories are about the competition and, you know, who wins the gold, but the best stories, as we know, are, are really not about that at all. It's about the friendship, the emotional support, the shared passions, the overcoming health challenges, and, you know... I think the, the theme this year for the National Senior Games was a reunion for the ages, and it really is that. But the more I think about it, to me, I, I think the one thread that ties it all together, you know, the, the core of all of this and the thing I admire most about the National Senior Games is that they're really about confronting fear. And I don't think that's ever going to become their slogan. But I think everybody that goes, everybody that competes, we're dealing with fear at some sort, fear of embarrassment, fear of letting our teammates down, fear of not performing as well as we think we can. And, and the poster child for that, Bill, is a woman that you and I both know, Vivian Stancil. And we've been looking at the video ever since we got back. Vivian, folks, is 75 years old now. Both of her parents died before she was seven years old. She was raised in six or seven different foster homes. By the time she was 19, she was starting to lose her eyesight. She was married and divorced and had two children and then was living on welfare. And at 50 years old, she's barely five feet tall. She weighs 320 pounds and the doctors say, Vivian, if you don't lose a lot of weight, you're going to be dead within 10 years. So she does the thing that scares her the most. She'd never been in a swimming pool in her life. She learns to swim. She becomes a competitive swimmer. And now, Bill, as we saw, she's not really a great swimmer. She's not even a good swimmer. She's a slow swimmer, but she's the most inspiring person in any pool because she faces her fears. Even though she's completely blind, she gets up there on the side of the pool, she dives in, and
1: she competes. Totally makes you think, doesn't it? I mean, sometimes I won't go out if I'm wearing the wrong socks, you know, with my running (laughs) shoes. But here she is, Mark, I, and, and the thing that really crystallized it was when she needed your help to get out, of, or at least you saw her struggling with just trying to figure out where she's supposed to be in a pool full of people. I, I, that that was so incredible into what she has to deal with, what she has to overcome. And what's her, her motto is no excuses. Yeah, no excuse. She said, you will never find me
2: feeling sorry for myself for saying that I can't do it. Never fear What's in your heart is what she believes. And, you know, from all the amazing performances we saw, I think I take that with me more than anything else is just watching Vivian Stansel at 75 years old, overweight, totally blind, diving in and doing her best.
1: Great segment puts a great end to the program. We'll see you next time on Growing Boulder.
0: The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula, and our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.
1: Crimson flames tap through my
2: ears, going high and mighty traps.
5: Countless fires.